This podcast is presented by State Farm, a proud supporter of women's soccer and all women's sports. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Head says Germany. Mm. Sort of full body says USA. Heart <laughs> says those cheeky little lionesses. Oh, yeah, I'm going for it. I mean, <laughs> by the way, by the so, way, how predictable are we? Literally, how predictable are our predictions? So predictable. Well, hold on. Yeah. You made me go first. Yeah. Uh, and you picked three winners. Like, Correct. I've never seen a fence straddled so hard. <laughs> From Apple News, I'm Rebecca Lowe. And I'm Brendan Hunt. And this is After the Whistle. On our first episode for the Women's World Cup, Brendan and I are back to tell you everything you need to know before Thursday's kickoff, including our hopes and dreams for the Lionesses and the US. Plus, we'll tell you about all 32 teams in a non-alphabetical feature we're calling A to New Z. And we'll give you our predictions and our dark horses for the tournament. Reminder, it's going to be adult language. Rebecca! Oh, my friend, it has been a while. It has been, as the kids say, a minute. It has. It has is indeed. that what they say? I don't know. And yet, a far shorter time than there usually is between tournaments of such stature and grandeur. So we're very fortunate in that way because a mere seven months after the completion of the Men's World Cup, here we are, headed south, you know, spiritually speaking, for the Women's World Cup 2023 in Australia and New Zealand. Less said about Qatar 2022, the better. Let's move on. Very excited to forget about men's football. Okay. Uh, The smell of fresh wounds. But this is going to be a whole different situation, uh, Rebecca, because we're in the rare and wonderful position of (gasps) both our native lands being among the favorites. My friend, we will get on to the US Women's National Team and the Lionesses, because like you say, to go into a major tournament as an English person with a hope. I know six months ago, I was like, we're going to win it. Okay, that's going to happen every time. But this time we actually might win it. Like we actually could win it. We're actually second favorites, which is incredible. But I think what I want to share with our listeners is kind of how we both came to the women's side of the game. Because growing up in America and growing up in England, very different paths to the women's game. So Brendan, you tell me first, tell us, how did you come to women's football? When, how, etc.? Sure. Of course, your path was on the uh, wrong side of the road, and I was (laughs) on the right side of the road. Oh, the classics. Um, I remember in 1996, the front page of the Chicago Tribune had a story about uh, the women's national team winning gold at the Olympics. And then the front page of the sports page had a whole long thing about it. And in particular, it was how they had drawn something like 100,000 people, 90,000 people, whatever it was, a massive, unfathomable crowd for such an event. And I remember, you know, just noting that. Like, oh, okay, something's going on there. Fine. But I wasn't particularly uh, a soccer person at all yet, so it didn't really register. 99, of course, the uh, epochal uh, victory uh, at the Rose Bowl in the Women's World Cup. Problem for me was I lived in Amsterdam by that point, so I did not feel the full cultural brunt of that just yet. But still, it's like, okay, there's something happening here. (laughs) There's something going on. (laughs) I don't know where the change happens between 99 and 20, I guess, 15 in particular. But by 2015, it's like, my family's in town. We're going to the Village Idiot. We're all buying USA shirts. And we're all we're getting there early to get good seats because we have to. And we're going to watch this World Cup final. That's when Carly Lloyd scores her hat trick. And like, oh my gosh, history in the making. 
by 2019, like, hey, Ted Lasso writing staff. Yeah, I know most of you don't actually like soccer, but we're all going to this bar to watch the World <laughs> Cup final. Like, it's somewhere along the way just became up for it. And you realize that this is as, as wonderful and moving a sporting event as, uh, as all of its, you know, opposite gender counterparts. I love it. Well, I mean, as I expected, completely different paths. I didn't myself never never played football, never kicked a ball in England, except in the back garden for my brother, which is basically the life of every sister in the 1980s and 90s, um, until I got to an American high school, which I went to for a year between high school and college, um, where I played for the varsity team. I mean, absolutely terribly. But I actually, it was the first time I'd ever actually kicked a ball in any kind of competitive arena because growing up in England, it wasn't even like, oh, girls don't play soccer. It wasn't even a conversation to have where somebody would say they don't play soccer. There was just not even a conversation. It was not even on the table. So... I just focus on the men's game. And then when I first started my career, that was when the BBC in 2002 were just starting to think, you know, maybe there's something in this, the England women's team, like maybe we should try and, you know, do something here. Oh, you're female, Rebecca. You can be the reporter. <laughs> and, oh, and you're female, Julia. You can be the producer. And so that was it. For every football focus show, which is the big flagship show in England, and for every match of the day show, any small little England women's feature I got to do. So my very first thing on television was following the England women's team to Italy for a couple of games. So I got in right when there was Kelly Smith, Casey Stoney, Karen Carney, Ennio Luco, all those kind of players and became super close to the team then, back then, gosh, nearly 20 years ago. And Euro 2005 happened in England and it was hailed as this moment where the country was going to change and it was going to change for women's football. And this was going to be the moment, a bit like the 99 World Cup in America, except it absolutely didn't work. Like my my dad only watched it because I was on it. Fast forward to Euro 2022, when of course the Lionesses won. And I remember talking to my dad on the phone one morning and he said, oh, darling, I've got to go. The Lionesses are on. I'm sorry, dad. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I don't blame him. Of course, he's just representative of, of the country. But yeah, that that is the change. And I cannot believe, Brendan, where women's football is today compared to where it was when I first started my career. And never in a million years, Brendan, did I think it would be where it is now. So for people who might be listening who are like, oh, gosh, I don't know if I've shown enough care or regard for women's sports in the past to have the right to get up for the Women's World Cup. Abandon that. Uh, and any gatekeepers you see, abandon that, too. The World Cup is for everyone. And if you haven't been on board enough in the past, it's got to start somewhere. Um, and the World Cup is here, and this is everyone's time, so get into it. Right. Let's get in to the meat <laughs> of what we're going to do in this podcast. This podcast, I'm going to get my little lionesses every now and then. I'm going to get a little mm -hmm. sprinkling of them. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. we, are, of course, are going to be strong on the U.S. Women's National Team. Mm -hmm. They're there. Their first game is against Vietnam on Friday. Brendan, what is your overall feeling about their chances, their squad, what are you looking forward to? All the questions, like seven questions in one. Go. It's a funny thing, this this team. All right, because like everyone uh, thinks that this is still a world-beating team. Why shouldn't they have won two World Cups in a row? Coming back with a very powerful squad, you know, infused with youth to go with the veteranship. But I find myself being a little reticent to get fully on the it's coming home train um, because it all just seems like a little too, 
a little too put together, a little too nice. Like there's all these sort of little things that people have like, oh yeah, well there's this little issue and this little issue mm. that no one seems to fear could add up to one big issue. So you're talking about little issues like what? Uh, uh, for example, little issues like, you know, certain players who are older and more important are older. Like? Megan Rapino. <laughs> certain players who are literally central to everything are going to be using this tournament to play themselves back into shape, that being Julie Ertz and, and Rose Lavelle. People are opening like, oh, no, Rose Lavelle won't play in the group stages. Oh, don't worry about it. She's going to come around later. Oh, it, yeah? Oh, yeah, Julie Ertz didn't play for a couple of years, but she's she's had a couple of Angel City games. She's fine. Everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about that. <laughs> oh, sure, Becky Sauerbrunn's gone, and they're going to be playing with basically you know two center backs who have hardly ever played together in their mm. entire life. <laughs> I wouldn't worry about that. It's going to be fine. I, 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 don't worry about it. <laughs> like, we won't make a habit in this podcast of like you know going to uh, analogs from the men's game, but it kind of reminds me of the talk about Spain before 2014. You know, Spain had just won... Europe and the World Cup and Europe and was like, here comes Spain again. Like, ah, are they? Are they? Are they coming again? Are we just assuming that? And and sure enough, they didn't make it out of the group stage. Now, the structure of the Women's World Cup is as such that there's not a chance in almighty heck that the U.S. would not get out of the group stage. But this assumption that they're going to destroy everyone before them feels a little, a little bit loose to me. Well, also, I think, Brendan, because it's important to say that and this kind of is something that is said at every Women's World Cup, but this one more than ever. A, it's a bigger World Cup than it's ever been. They've got 32 teams yes. now rather than 24. So mm-hmm. um, it's longer, but also the gap definitely is closing. And so the USA used to be out by themselves with maybe a Germany or maybe a China back in the day, or really back in the day, maybe a, a Nordic country, maybe a Norway or a Sweden who might challenge them. Now, I feel like one of between six and 10 could actually win this World Cup. So that's new for America to go in as, yes, the favorites, but you've got to, they've got to be super, super careful. And also coming off the Olympics, you see the Olympics in Tokyo when Canada won and they didn't make it into the gold medal game was a huge downer. And I agree with you on the, the center-half partnership with No Sauerbrunn. You've got Naomi Gurner and Alana Cook. I love Naomi Gurma, and I feel like she's going to be your future, the U.S. Women's National Team future for 15 she's years. She's fantastic. But the World Cup is, is brand new to her, massive step up, and all of that that she has to take on her shoulders. Because just that role of center-half, I feel like you have to have that sort of leadership prowess, don't you, as a center-half? So that's a lot of pressure, as you say. We haven't mentioned Alex Morgan. You know, 34, I think she is, 34 years of age up front. 34 is a decent age. Um, Then again, you look at her stats and they're fantastic in the NWSL for San Diego Wave. But she's probably not quite the Alex Morgan she was in 2015 and 2019. Probably. And uh, she's not going to play Thailand this time for (laughs) the sweet, sweet stat padding that they provided. But then it gets to the things that do give you confidence, which is like, well, behind her, largely starting alongside her, will be, you know, Sophia Smith and Trinity Rodman, who are... Uh, like, do you remember how you described Sophia Smith to me in a, in a message about a month ago? What did I say? You said, Sophia Smith is a joke. And without <laughs> hearing it in your voice, I had to like look at it for a long time. Like, okay, great. All right. Now, I'm pretty sure that's, that's English slang for something positive. Because like, why would she be so mean to Sophia Smith after she just scored a hat trick? Okay, no. Because if, if it was Rebecca saying it, she would have been like, Sophia Smith is a joke. And like, I would have got it. <laughs> Um, but context clues are so difficult in text. <laughs> anyway, those two, those two are are coming. Um, yeah, and you know, obviously, there's a world where they all start together, and uh, and that'd be rad. So I know I'm being a little bit chicken little here, 
But you know, it's, it is my it is my nature to not be wildly confident, even when there's evidence to allow it. I think one other thing you have to take into account is whether you think Megan Rapinoe should be in the squad or not, because obviously she's not going to start any games. She'll probably come off the bench a few times. As a 38-year-old who's seen a million World Cups and has been there and done it and got every T-shirt under the sun, she can, in that dressing room, say a lot of things, which will do a lot of good, right? But also the intimidation factor. It's the USA in the women's game. They are and have always been the number one, pretty much on average for the entire sort of lifespan of women's football. And so when you're playing up against them, so you've got Vietnam, the Netherlands, and then Portugal. When you come up against, say, a Portugal, who've never been to a World Cup before, they are going to be intimidated. They just are. That is a factor because you are the USA and, and that you have so many recognizable faces. So I think that's a big factor as well. Um, I get what you mean. There are lots of little things that maybe aren't quite right. I worry less about the US Women's National Team, more about the other good teams in the tournament. I think you'll be excellent, but might there be another team just as, you know? Yeah. We shall see. We shall see. Would that be a nice link to the Lionesses? Uh, I dare. I'm, oh, it's, it's right there. It's right there. You just got to grab it. You just got to grab it. Uh, the Lionesses, Rebecca, European yeah. champions for the first time ever. Mm. And of course, they have uh, the beating heart of English football love in their pockets. But every team, it seems, is just having injury trouble. But England seems to have had oh. more than their share. And we don't want to get too bogged down in like the people who are not going to be there. Leah Williamson, we see you. Frank Kirby, we see you. Beth Mead, we see you. Ugh. But are these withstandable losses in your view? Uh, and you know, it, Brendan, it's not even just the injured players because Jill Scott and Ellen White, who were two huge figures in us winning the Euros last summer, one for character, one for goals and general all-round play, have both retired. So you've got three massive injuries, two big retirements in the last year. It's a very different squad going to the World Cup. Then you've got the fact that there is expectation on these women's shoulders, the likes of which we've never seen before because of what they did last summer. I think it's manageable. I think they have the talent. It's not too dissimilar to the England men's team. The talent is there. It's just not always about that, is it? But I love our manager, Serena Wiegmann. I think she's brilliant. She's very rarely put a foot wrong. She keeps the team very consistent. Millie Bright is our captain and she's back and that's a big deal. She started training this week, so that's excellent. The thing that annoys me the most about this whole situation is this morning I wake up to the news in The Guardian that the England women's players have put a pause and a hold on their fight with the FA over the, over the bonuses, right? So what's happened is... They've been asking the FA, the English FA, for a long time, look, we need better compensation. So FIFA are going to give at least $30,000 to every player at this Women's World Cup, which let's not even get into, by the way, the pittance that that is in comparison to the men's game. But we have to start somewhere. And the England women would like to be compensated more than that from the FA on top of what FIFA pay them. And the FA are basically saying no. No, we, we won't be doing that. And this has been a standoff for a long time. And they wanted to get it sorted out before the World Cup. They haven't managed to. The England women have to come out with a joint statement today, the week of the Women's World Cup, and say, we haven't got to where we want to get to. Now we're going to put a pause on it and concentrate on the football. Now, Brendan, if the Lionesses win the World Cup, it's going to make the English FA look absolutely ridiculous. And there is a very good chance that happens. I am at my wits end at the moment with some of these numbers. I mean, the prize pool 
for the Women's World Cup is $110 million. That's for every single player, every federation, everything, okay? Yes, it's more than three times what it was at the 2019 World Cup. And brilliant, progress, fantastic. That's great, thanks. Infantino, Gianni Infantino has said the target is the 2027 Women's World Cup is when he'll do the equal pay, equal prize money, because the men's prize money, $440 million, right? So four times the women's in Qatar. What I don't understand, Brendan, is why we can't do it today, right now. Equal prize money right now. And this would help the women out so much. And he talks about, Infantino talks about, well, the average salary for these women players is 14000 a year. And so, you know, basically we're doing them a favor with a little 30000 that we're going to give them for the group stage. It just drives me nuts that it's going to take four years to get some equal pay. I don't understand. Like I've said this before in interviews, the, the banks are open. We just have to adjust the direct deposit. Banks are open. Banks are open. <laughs> call them. Call them right now. They're there. I mean, don't get me started on on Infantino and the constituency of FIFA, but also the FA. I mean, good heavens. Don't they have their own history books to look back at? You know, don't they have... Um, uh, what's the what's the guy on Game of Thrones who like uh, was the only one who went and read history books? I've never seen that show. He was on the wall. You've never seen Game of Thrones? No. And yet you claim to understand the culture clashes of football? No, I never Oh, seen Rebecca. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> well, just for the people listening who are like, who's he talking about? Fucking, what's his name? Sam. Sam and Gilly. Yeah, Sam, like, look back in the books. is like, oh, no, look at our people. What we did in the past. Oh, we've, we've done very bad things. No one in the FA, apparently, has the sense of of noting the over 100 years of tradition of being wrong, <laughs> of the future being on their doorstep and them not answering the bell. Godspeed. Godspeed to you all. And now it makes me kind of like more want England to win because I would love for that shit show to be in the front pages. But they're not even alone. They're not alone, as we will get to, because I, I mean, if you go through virtually every country, they've all they all seem to be angry at, at their federation for something or another. It's an, it's really a joke. Not like a Sophia Smith joke, an actual joke. <laughs> See, that's the thing. It's a word that can go so many different ways. Like that time, I understood no, you, you right listen. away. I understood I right know, away right? because you had the benefit of tone of voice. This podcast is presented by State Farm, which believes in amplifying the voices and profiles of women athletes. By ensuring coverage for female athletes today, State Farm helps set the stage for women's sports tomorrow. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Okay, Rebecca, now it's time for a new segment we are calling A to New Z. Do you get it? Do you get it? If you don't, how about this? A to new Z. No. Yeah, more people just got it. That's the sound you're hearing. Now, before I hear from some of you on social media, no, this is not going to be 100% alphabetical because it ruins the bit of bookendiness with the home teams. Okay? So, sue me or don't, please. It's not a good time. We will start with the <laughs> other hosts and we'll begin, Rebecca, with, therefore, Australia. All right. So... Back in 1995, before the very first Women's World Cup, the female Socceroos, as they were known then, which is an awful name, needed a new one. And so did you know they had a vote on TV and the Matildas won, just like in that old classic, the old Australian folk song, Waltzing Matilda. Can you give us a rendition, Brendan? Waltzing Matilda, Waltzing Matilda. And Matilda, won't you come all scene with me? <laughs> yeah? right. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> okay, so then, 
<laughs> oh, I've missed this. Uh, real quick, if I just your basic entry level stuff. Sam Kerr uh, is their striker. She is the unquestioned best female player in the world, and she's going to have that home support. How much can home support do? They're, they would not be considered this high a favorite if they were not at home, I think it's fair to say, but the home support can be a big thing in a World Cup. We'll see what it does for them. Okay, next up, Argentina. Now, Brendan, they have a huge star returning to their squad this year, Estefania Benini. She is nicknamed the female Messi. She returns to the national team after she was left off the roster three years ago for criticizing the coach's management. Love these women. Uh, that coach, by the way, is gone. Argentina just won the Men's World Cup, of course, but we should say their women's team is not quite the powerhouse. They've never won a match in a major international tournament, so they're probably not a threat. And that's all we have to say about them because we have a ticking clock. Let's go. Let's go. We move on to Brazil. And I think even if you haven't ever really watched much women's football, you will have heard of Marta. She is now 37, but she has been one of the best players that's ever been. Probably the best women's player in history. She's coming back, would you believe, Brendan, for her sixth World Cup, even though she recently tore an ACL. But alongside her in the midfield is a player you may have seen on a recent Nike advert. Have you seen Davinia in the recent Nike advert? Great spot. Oh, so good. Oh, it's so good. Anyway, she's got the frills, she's got the twirls, she's got the whole Brazilian shebang. So Dabinia, I would say, is someone to look for if you're watching Brazil, yeah? Alphabetically next would be uh, Canada, and I would refer to them by their nickname, but they still don't have one. Well, and they're also not happy, Brendan, are they? We talked about the Lionesses earlier on in a fight with the FA. Canada have been on a long dispute over pay disparities with their federation. I mean, it's just been a complete and utter mess. I've listened to quite a lot of, of Canadian players talking about the situation, how they're trying desperately to put it to one side. They were, I mean, at one point, they were thinking they weren't even going to play at this World Cup. And they, we mustn't also forget, are the Olympic champions from Tokyo 2021. They come into this with the target of winning. I had a real quick chat with Kaylin Sheridan, who is the goalkeeper at the San Diego Wave in the NWSL. And I said to her, target? And she's like, win it obviously win it. She was very strong on it. So they think they can win. I just hope for their sakes, all the stuff around it is put to one side if they can do that. Next up in the uh, alphabet that we love so much is uh, is China. The Steel Roses, who were in that dramatic World Cup final in 1999, but haven't passed the quarterfinals since. After China, we get to Colombia. Now, this is an interesting story. Linda Caicedo is only 18 years of age. Boy, she had a life so far, Brendan, she's already survived ovarian cancer. And this, Brendan, at the age of 18, is her third World Cup. She was in the under-20 version in August. And then two months later, she reached the final in the under-17. So yes, it's not her first you know, top-level World Cup in terms of age group, but it is her third World Cup she's experienced as a player. And she's 18. Linda Caicedo. Remember the name. Also, their nickname, the Powerpuff Girls, Las Chicas Superpoderosas, maybe the best nickname in the entire tournament. <laughs> Costa Rica, uh, looking for their uh, first ever World Cup win. They had two points in 15. That was a long time ago. We do not expect them to be around very long. 501 odds. We're moving on to Denmark. Panilla, Panilla Harder. 70 career goals for Denmark. That's ridiculous. Runner-up at the 2017 Euro. She's won the UEFA Women's Player of the Year Award twice. This, though, is her very first World Cup. Straight up one of the best players in the world, but uh, perhaps not surrounded by a good enough team to be a threat. Uh, all right, uh, we're going to skip England because we already did England. And you can only get so much England, Rebecca. You can never get enough England. Uh, we move on to France, ranked fifth in the world. 
had a, a big old kerfuffle earlier this year when uh, their best players, basically, including the defender, Wendy Renard, were like, no, we're done with this coach. We're so done with this coach that we are out. And unlike many other FAs, the French FA listened to the players and were like, you got it. This coach is out. Welcome on back, Wendy. And Wendy even got to have a coach with the same last name as her. No relation. But that would appear to have righted the ship. And like, you know, so many French teams on the men's side get to a World Cup and then they are riven by some like stupid controversy. This controversy is not necessarily stupid, but also wisely, they seem to have sorted it before the tournament. Take that, Patrice Evra. <laughs> and also Hervé Renard, who is now the new manager, was the manager of Saudi Arabia at the Men's World Cup. They beat Argentina, the eventual winners, which is amazing. Let's move on to Germany. And I got a thing about Germany, Brendan, of course I have, because I'm English, major rivals. Gary Lineker once said, what's football? Football is when 11 men or women run around on a football pitch against another 11 and then Germany win. And that's basically what happens. So it's very difficult for me to see past Germany. They're ranked number two in the world. They are packed full of absolute superstars. The number one for me to look out for Germany, the striker, the captain, Alexandra Pop, who was injured for the final against England. She was injured for the Euros last year. Had Germany had Pop, had Germany had Pop against England, <laughs> it's an amazing phrase, then I think... Possibly England may not Children's be Europe. Yeah, maybe England wouldn't be European champions. If Germany had had pop, England might not have won the game. So Alexander Pop, poppity pop, pop, Germany. <laughs> uh, after that, uh, Haiti. Oh my gosh, so much oh. CONCACAF representation. They are 500 to one odds. And that's probably the last time we'll be discussing them, except when we talk about their double digit losses to England. And then we got Ireland. Uh, Ireland's first World Cup. This team is full of stories. I'm very excited about Ireland. I am part Irish, uh, but many stories. First of all, from the fact that when they celebrated getting in, they were singing songs in the locker room, and one of those songs was a uh, song about the IRA. They got them in a little bit of trouble. Um, uh, also, uh, they had a match the other day against Colombia, which they stopped playing after 20 minutes because <laughs> Colombia was being, quote-unquote, too physical. Um don't know what that means. That's sort of strange. But uh, more pertinently, um, Ireland has more miles to fly than any other team in the tournament. That seems like a real tough break for a team in their first World Cup. Um, so we shall see how they do. Italy. Italy, Italy, Italy. Ranked number 16. Uh, got to the quarterfinals four years ago after not qualifying for five of the previous six tournaments. I don't think they're going to do too much. The women's Serie A just became professional last year. So they're a little lagging, our Italy, which is strange considering their prowess in the men's game that they've been a bit rubbish in the women's. But maybe they will turn things around this tournament. Next! Jamaica, more CONCACAF. A couple things about Jamaica. Bunny Shaw, one of the best players in the world. Bob Marley's daughter is an ambassador for uh, the reggae girls with a Z. I keep saying Z for Rebecca's benefit. And also, um, this team is openly seeking crowdfunding. So feel free to get on uh, GoFundMe and find uh, the Jamaica National Women's Football Team. Give them a little love. Japan. Japan comes next and they rank number 11 in the world. And they have, in the last 10 or 15 years, been really a real threat to the likes of the United States, the likes of Germany, the likes of England. They have been excellent right now. Technically really good. They play a really nice, fast-paced game. Not, though, so great right now. Don't expect them to go too far. They have a little away jersey. Away jersey. God, I'm so American. They've got an away strip <laughs> that's pink and purple, um, which apparently is a nod to the sunsets over Mount Fuji, which I like. I like a little bit of pink and purple in my World Cup. Next! <laughs> Morocco. 
This is the first Arab nation to qualify for the Women's World Cup. Big year for Moroccan football in general, but 250 to 1 odds. So to the Linuses of Atlas, we salute you and perhaps bid you farewell. After that, the Netherlands. Oh, Rebecca. You guys are playing Netherlands in the second game, rematch of the final of 2019. You love a little bit of Dutch. Give it to us. Um, well, of course, uh, though Holland is my uh, number two team I sport in international football when they are playing the U.S., as they so often seem to do on the women's side of things. Well, the men's side, too, actually, this year. Then um, uh, my allegiances are clear. Uh, nonetheless, Holland, very, very good. Of course, they've lost Serena Wichmann to England since the last World Cup, and they have Vivian uh, Miedema out among all the other Arsenal players who have chosen to tear their ACL in time for this tournament. They still have Jill Roord. They are still very, very good, ranked ninth in the world. Could easily be the team that gives us a lot of trouble in the group. Maybe gets a draw, then maybe it comes down to goal difference after that to see whether or not the U.S. will finish top of the group or not. So, Holland, bit of a threat, but without Vivienne, I'm not quite seeing it. Okay, let's move on to Nigeria. Big outsider, also in a fight with their federation, but the one name you have to know when it comes to Nigeria is their striker, 28-year-old Asisat Oshawala, five-time African Women's Footballer of the Year. She plays with Barca. She had three hat-tricks in two weeks when she played for Barcelona earlier on this year. That is the name you need to know. Oshawala, one of the best players in the world. Nigeria, the only African nation to reach the uh, Women's World Cup quarterfinals. Next, a powerhouse, Norway. The Grasshoppers. The Grasshoppers are playing the opening game against New Zealand. Why? Anybody know why? Why are they the Grasshoppers? No, I don't know why. I don't really associate Grasshoppers with icy countries. Norway, I demand an explanation. (laughs) They were women's football superpower in the 90s, Brendan. So they're one of those. It's funny in, in women's football, it very much ebbs and flows. Like we're talking about China have done that. Japan have done that. Norway used to be excellent. Now, not so much. Well, hold on. Now they're bringing back um, Ada Hegerberg, mm, and I good. think uh, that's a big old yeah, deal. Yeah, you know, yeah. best uh, player in the world as of 2018, and then skipped the 2019 World Cup, I believe. Now she's back. Norway are still now only in 12th on the world rankings, but is her presence enough to spark a Nordic renaissance? If you're not done yet with Concacaf teams, well, here we go. Panama, Las Canaleras, the Canal Girls get it. Panama Canals, pretty great. Not bad at all. Again, 501 odds. A FIFA ranking so low, it's not even included on our chart. Thank you, Panama, for stopping by. Van Halen <laughs> says hello and goodbye. After that, Philippines. Again, probably not going to be around for very long. 501 odds. Glad you made it. Philippines never qualified for a World Cup on either side of, of the uh, chromosome situation. So congratulations and uh, have a good time in Australia while you're there. Short flight. Uh, Portugal. Uh, first time they made it to a Women's World Cup. You're playing them. You're playing them. Yep, 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 yep. And by the way, here's the thing. is like, oh, gosh, as you were saying so earlier, Portugal's going to be so intimidated by the U.S. But in the 2002 Men's World Cup, Portugal was the number four country in the world. And here came the U.S. kind of stumbling on in, and they won three to two. So that is why they play the games. Portugal, you will not be underestimated. Uh, South Africa, the men's team called Bafana Bafana. The women's team called Banyana Banyana. And guess it. what? Guess what? Hey, Brendan, guess what? Hit me, hit me. They're also in a dispute with their federation over wages. I mean, oh, it's like cut it? and paste. What is going on in the world? This is so depressing. South Korea, Tigers of Asia, is coached by somebody who certainly isn't a Tiger of Asia, Colin Bell from Leicester. Amazing scenes. Yes, Englishman who actually was the Mainz men's reserves 
manager 20 years ago when Jurgen Klopp, a certain Klopp, was in charge of Mainz in Germany. Colin Bell leading South Korea. Right. They are, by the way, number 17 in the world. Don't think they're going to pull up too many trees. What about the Spanish, Brendan? Possibly, even though they're ranked sixth in the world. Possibly the best team in the tournament, despite not winning the Euros and all that. They have arguably the best player in the world, Alexis Pateas. I mean, it's actually Sam Kerr, but I mean, you know, come on, she's up there. And they're here to win this thing. And the U.S. could be playing them in the semifinals. One of the biggest obstacles in the U.S. windshield, Spain. But we do have to mention, and I'm sure we'll get into this later in the tournament as well, the whole absolute disaster with the Federation when 15 players said that they were not going to play until they got the coach, Jorge Vilda, out. But he is not out, very much still there. Three players sort of decided, okay, we will play then. And a whole bunch, as you said, are now not going to play. So they are missing some really good players. It's really divided. I feel so sorry for the players who feel like they have to stick to their guns and then don't get to play at the World Cup. I mean, it's just mess after mess, Brendan. Pretty much everywhere we look with these federations. Get their act together for the love of Jesus. Probably can't say that. <laughs> um, after Spain, we've got Sweden. Uh, Sweden! Yeah, Sweden. Ever the bridesmaids. They've finished third in two of the last three World Cups. They've won silver medals at each of the last two Olympics, including losing only on penalties in 2020. As ever, they have some great players, the great Kosovari Asalani and uh, Stina Blackstenius of Arsenal. Ranked third in the world. But is this going to be finally the time they get it together or is it going to be the same as usual? Again, they're another team with a ton of injuries. Um, Switzerland will probably be very quick on Switzerland, I'll be honest, because they only reached the World Cup through a playoff against Wales last October, thanks to a 121st-minute goal. Switzerland ranked number 20, as always with Switzerland. You know, don't hate them, don't love them. Right down the middle. All right, welcome along. (laughs) Would you dare say that you are neutral on Switzerland? (laughs) Okay, United States, I'll just jump in here. United States. um, So the the nickname, the Stars and Stripes? Allegedly, yeah. Yeah, we got a real nickname problem all over the place. You do have a nickname problem because at the Men's World Cup, we had the guys. The guys, remember? That's what you called the men. What are we going to call the women? The gals? The gals? Well, yes, but we had to call them that because in the United States, we have the the curious situation of our default national football team not necessarily being the men's team. So we have to distinguish the men's team from the women's team as opposed to vice versa. Oh. But then to call them the gals would be, would be silly. It so, would be. We've talked about them. Should we just go on to Vietnam? Vietnam, 501 odds, but oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> hey, Vietnam, thank you for stopping by, and um, we'll be looking for gold difference there. Uh, and now we come to uh, one of the uglier tales um, in this entire tournament, and that is what's going on with the national team of Zambia, the Copper Queens, great nickname, bad situation, of Zambia. Yeah, so this article came out in The Guardian this week. Their head coach is called Bruce Mwape. And there are allegations, in fact, there's a quoted allegation from an anonymous player to The Guardian that says, this is basically what it said, if the coach wants to sleep with a player, you have to say yes. It is normal that the coach sleeps with players in our team. So these allegations have been going on for quite some time, but it has been managed somehow to keep out of the media. Well, The Guardian are now watching this very, very closely. And The Guardian goes on to say that players are being threatened with punitive action if they dare say anything about what's happened. So what now? Well, the Football Association of Zambia says that the matter is in the hands of FIFA and the police. And Mwape, Bruce Mwape, the man at the centre of the allegations, told Radio New Zealand 
this past week. As far as I'm concerned, they are fake allegations. So it's important to say that. But in my experience, Brendan, with allegations as serious as those are, mm-hmm. the person gets suspended whilst the investigation goes on. We don't risk allowing, were they to be true, the allegations, we don't risk allowing these things to continue while we're investigating. I mean, it's bizarre to me that he's allowed to stay in his job, no? For now. It's potentially such a great moment for Zambia as a team and as a nation to get this spotlight on the world stage. And it's really, really regrettable that they've let it go this far here on the eve of the tournament. And finally, we're ending on New Zed, New Zealand, the other home team. Brendan, what do you have on the ferns? Football ferns, great nickname, super great. You know, I'm always kind of rooting for New Zealand and football in general. Like a lot of times, you know, the Oceania playoff will be New Zealand versus somebody. And every once in a while, you know, they win and they make it into the men's. But this just might be something there for which they're not quite ready. They're also having a big problem selling tickets. I believe they're literally giving away tickets for free now Mm. to some of the matches throughout New Zealand, which, by the way, really good job, those of you in New Zealand who decided to wait it out and saw that coming. That's how you play a market. Um, (laughs) But New Zealand is just a cool place. (laughs) I just don't know how much they care about football at all. So hopefully they can have a bit of a go at this, but it uh, does not look good for the football ferns themselves. And that's the conclusion of A to New Z. On or off the pitch, women athletes deserve to be recognized for being awesome competitors and for being inspiring role models for generations to come. That's why State Farm is proud to present this podcast. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Okay, here we go. Predictions, Dark Horses, Rebecca, we want them. That's our professional obligation to provide them. Uh, I will say it's slightly harder to really pick a uh, Dark Horse in the women's tournament because it's so top-heavy. It is so much harder for a true, true underdog to break through. But what is your Dark Horse? Well, Dark Horse, not from that they're going to win it, but that they are going to go much further than anyone expected. I'm going to go with debutants, the Republic of Ireland. The amount of talent in that squad, much of which we see on the NWSL stage, the spirit that will be in that dressing room, the fact that they've never been to a World Cup before, all in all, just gives me a feeling, they're in a decent enough group, gives me a feeling that they will get out of the group, which I don't think anyone really expects them to do, and will get further than we think they might. So my dark horse is the Republic of Ireland. Yours? From the same group, Nigeria. And that's partially due to the concert of that group. I think that is, mm. you know, according to the odds makers, the uh, the tightest group. And if you have a group that's tight like that, then you could have draws between your favorites. And then, you know, someone lower down could sneak in. Cut to Australia and Canada advance easily out of the group with seven points each. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think uh, group B is where the fireworks potentially are. So Nigeria for me. Okay. Winners. Who are your winners? This is the big one. Despite my, uh, despite my, uh, my reservations, uh, <laughs> despite my timidity, my cautiousness, my responsibly wide view, gotta go USA, gotta go USA. Here we come, Australia. Get ready for it. Yeah. You. Head says Germany. Mm. Sort of full body says USA. <laughs> Heart <laughs> says those cheeky little lionesses. 
Oh, yeah, I'm going for it. I mean, <laughs> by the way, by the so, way, how predictable are we? Literally, how predictable are our predictions? So predictable. Well, hold on. Yeah. You made me go first. Yeah. Uh, and you picked three winners. Like, Correct. I've never seen a fence straddled Correct. so hard. The fence lays in ruin. <laughs> It's, right now. It's from, very painful. From your, your straddling of it. There's I'm not going to lie. splinters everywhere. There's a lot. My fence, very clean. Very clean, my <laughs> fence. I'm nowhere near that fence. Well, One declaration. <laughs> Ugh, fine. Uh, uh, folks, we're going to be here all tournament long. We're going to have guests. Yeah. We can't even tell you about the guests yet, I don't think, but they're going to be here and they won't live here. Hence, they will be guests. <laughs> and you're going to Australia. It's true. I'm going to Australia and New Zealand. Going to uh, head out there for the knockout rounds, hopefully following the, the U.S. team all the way to the final. And, you know, keep my my son safe from the uh, funnel web spiders Ooh, who yeah. will kill you. Yeah. They'll fucking kill you. Lift, <laughs> lift up the Lucy before you ever wee. Lift up the Lucy. That's where they live, under the Lucy. Honestly, yeah, especially yeah. in Sydney. You know? Just come and bite your bum. Uh, okay. I'm very excited, Rebecca. Oh, my gosh. Me too. Should we see you for episode two then? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it more times. All right. Later, potato. Good eye, mate. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> I just said good eye, mate. Yes. Like, hello. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be a fun month. Follow the show on Apple Podcasts. Listen anytime on Apple News. And tell a friend. Women's World Cup, baby. Yeah. <laughs>